with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Okay, well, uh, good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to to visit the website. That is www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. So www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. All one word there. And if you would like to be part of the show, I invite you to call in. That number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And in case you can't stick around for the whole show today, the whole hour, or maybe you want to go back and listen to other shows in the archives, you can go back in again and listen to previous shows. Just uh, go ahead and access all that through the website there, and uh, you'll be able to see all the shows that you may have missed or the ones that really interest you. And if uh, you uh, have subscriptions for Audible or iTunes or Amazon Music, um, these uh, shows have been podcasted now that you, they're, they are able to be accessed and downloaded through those means. So Audible, iTunes, and Amazon Music. And I also wanted to mention that if you would like to subscribe to these broadcasts, you may do so by also visiting the website and then just click on the subscription link. Now, just a little caveat there, like you don't need a subscription to be able to access the archives or previous shows. Um, but uh, again, if you want to support this uh, broadcast, uh, I invite you to do so. And as I can say that uh, you go on the website and you can just click on that subscription link and it will tell you everything that you need to know and so i i very much appreciate your support well when we consider what reclaiming authenticity is all about um, i always have to put it into a larger context uh, because really it doesn't matter you know who we are or where we were born you know our place in the world and so forth or what family we grew up in um you know, first and foremost, ours is a world that's just filled with relationships. And indeed, we are social beings. We, we just have that um, connectivity to us, shall we say, uh, that uh, we're not meant to be on this earth uh, just to be all by ourselves. But um, we are social creatures. And so we find that we bond with other um, like-minded people or we have, you know, an emotional attachment to others and so forth. And, um, 
you know, we are just in relationships in one form or another. And so we often spend our lives, we spend a lot of energy for that matter, to try to make sense of our world and trying to make sense of the relationships that we find ourselves in whether it be personal or professional. And we often try to find our place in the world. Well, <clears throat> as social beings, it's, it's often within the context of these relationships that we experience tremendous pain and suffering. Um, and again, these could be for anything from just acts of betrayal or cruelty that somebody has afflicted on us or vice versa, or perhaps we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But as a result, many people bear the scars of, shall we say, physical woundedness or psychological woundedness, uh, emotional woundedness, and even spiritual woundedness. And yet, ironically, just as we experience our woundedness in and through relationships, it's also exactly where we find our healing, our voice and our authenticity. We also find that in the context of healthier relationships. So relationships is something that we cannot get around, but we're, we're constantly in relationships, as I said, both personally and professionally. And uh, we could experience woundedness or we could experience tremendous healing. But uh, as a result, the, the difficulty then is often finding that courage to discover these things which have always been in us. And by, by these things, I'm talking about the, the gifts and graces and skills and, and certainly our uniqueness that we come into the world already with. Um, this was something that the um, Scottish Franciscan scholar John Dun Scotus coined the phrase "hachetas," or it's the it is this this this. So what's unique about us? What's special about us? And you know, everybody everybody has that uniqueness to them. Everybody has that thisness, because I'm also a firm believer that we do come into the world with everything that we already need. Everything that we already would need for this life, not just for ourselves, but also for others. Because you know, when we start taking a look at, well, exactly what do we come into the world with? What is our uniqueness? What is our thisness? We find that it's not so much for us, but that uniqueness tends to be, let's say, an answer to somebody else's prayer or a blessing. Or, you know, some perhaps uh, way that we think creatively to help out another person or to be, you know, the kind of healing that a person needs in their life or even helping them discover their own uniqueness, their own thisness. But many times we often go through uh, different experiences, very unpleasant experiences, and we think that there's nothing unique to us. We, we think, okay, there's nothing special about me. I don't have a thisness, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know even know where to begin to find something like that because we've grown up and, you know, again, we might have been told these messages of, you know, there's nothing special to us, or maybe we felt as though we just couldn't live up to another person's expectations of us, and so we just gave up as a result. Or, I mean, truth be told, perhaps we even hid what was special to us from others. 
in order to survive an abuse or survive a situation. And we never bothered then to go back in and pull out those things again. We never uh, bothered to find again or let alone reclaim that uniqueness, the, the, the things that make us so, so special. And either way, you know, whenever we become aware that we've done these things, again, it's, it's no shame or guilt. It's just sometimes people have done what they needed to do in order to survive, you know, okay, and it worked. Um, but now you're in a place of survival mode when you should be in a place of thriving and living your life to the fullness and not falling back into, let's say, a learned helplessness that you grew up with, um, because it does take tremendous courage to reclaim who we are. I mean, we can reclaim our voice, our uniqueness, our thisness. And this is what reclaiming authenticity is all about. You know, it focuses on the integration of our spirituality and our mental health. And again, I place it all within the context, the backdrop of our relationships with ourselves and, and you know, uh, the messages that we tell ourselves about ourselves as we're looking, you know, back at ourselves in the mirror or other uh, experiences that we've gone through. And certainly, um, it's within the context of our relationship with others, and certainly God or the divine. Well, I will be taking your calls in a little while after the break, as I said, uh, because I really want to hear from you today about this subject. Please pay attention to what's behind the curtain. Please pay attention to what's behind the curtain. Now, you might recognize this line from the movie The Wizard of Oz, okay? Uh, granted, it's kind of a twist on the original line of pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, which, of course, is a reference to the man who was working the controls to make the impression that this uh, Oz was, was this all-powerful, ominous, and terror-inducing being projected onto a screen. And if you remember the scene, you know, this is now the second time where our four companions, you know, Dorothy, Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion are now coming face to face with the all-powerful Oz. And the first time they went, they had no idea what to expect. You know, it's just they were shaking and quivering and quaking with fright at such a display of power. And they asked for whatever was on their heart of Oz. And Oz says, well, you, you know, you still have to kill the Wicked Witch of the West. And so they actually go do that. And now they come back a second time to Oz. And uh, this is where, you know, little Toto, he just meanders his way over to the curtain and he pulls it back to reveal the one who was working the controls all along. And then... Finally, the jig was up, and the secret was out. Now, ironically, um, if this event didn't happen, you know, our companions probably would have never realized what was already lying dormant in them. 
Okay, let's think about it this way. Before that incident, they were content, even though they may not have liked it, but they were content to go on believing that there was really nothing special about themselves, even though each one of them displayed what they believed they lacked. And this pattern of, well, there's really nothing special about me because, well, I haven't yet to discover it in me, this pattern is not just reserved for this movie but is actually a social pattern that has been galvanized throughout history. You see, in many times, uh, this message of who you think you are and how society sees you is simply not true. Because, in other words, perhaps it's all just smoke and mirrors. But when you pay attention to what and who is behind the curtain, so to speak, and see it, for what it really is, you too just might be awakened to the truth that already lies within you. And, you know, because on this program, you've heard me say it many times that, you know, I am a firm believer that we come into the world with everything that we need. We're already equipped. We're already gifted. We're already graced with everything that we need. And this could be skills or talents or, or strengths or character traits or whatever. And yet we may feel that we need to hide these things or, you know, or we don't even know what they are. So, <clears throat> or even where to look. Okay. But when we do realize our giftedness, when we do realize our skills and our talents and our strengths and so forth, we stop going through life from a place of woundedness in relationships or even a place of victimization. And we start to heal and we start to live our lives and act from a place of healing and wholeness and embracing this uniqueness, this thisness. Because you see, we may have yet to realize that there is more to us than what we have become so far. And we get little glimpses of this here and there, but we still may not believe it, or we have trouble walking in it. And what does this look like on a Thursday morning, let alone a Tuesday night or a Saturday afternoon? Like, how do we live this out? Because certainly there is so much more to us than what we have become so far. So let's go back to the Wizard of Oz, okay? Uh, each and every one of them already had something special about themselves that they came to believe didn't exist in them. But think about it for a moment. Who told the scarecrow that he did not have any brains? And yet he was the one who did most of the thinking through the movie. And who told the tin man that he didn't have a heart when throughout the movie we saw his sincerity and who told the lion that he was cowardly and didn't have any courage when he actually uh, just uh, faced a lot of odds in spite of the dangers? And who told Dorothy that she was powerless to do anything about her situation? Well, it sounds like that was coming straight from the Wicked Witch of the West. Well, just because other people cannot see your uniqueness doesn't mean that it's not in there ready to be awakened. 
you know, and what does it take for a person to believe in themselves? Does it take the right circumstance? Does it take the right person coming along and saying, hey, have you ever thought? Or does it take trusting in yourself with these little glimpses that you begin to see and that you, let's say, by faith, stepping out on faith, begin to act on these things and trust that the things that you really enjoy and the things that you become compassionate or passionate about and the things that you see have uh, really been life-giving to not only yourself but to others just might lead you to understand even more things about yourself. Well, one of my favorite uh, psychologists down through history was Heinz Kohut. Um, and he wrote this book back in the 70s called The Analysis of the Self. And um, it's a little dated, but uh, it, the truths just certainly stand the test of time. Okay. And um, his whole work was devoted to understanding the self as a person's psychological being which consisted of sensations and thoughts and feelings and attitudes towards oneself and the world. Now, according to his model of self-psychology, uh, it was Kohut who understood our inability to overcome many issues in our lives because, he says, these all stem from an underdeveloped sense of who we are. In other words, we don't really know ourselves, and therefore we don't have the resiliency, or we don't have the strength, we don't have the insight, or whatever was needed at the time. You know, it's just because we are underdeveloped. And I like this theory, because it puts it out there, a sense of, you know, helping a person realize their potential. It doesn't point a finger and say, you're flawed, you're no good, you don't measure up, and so on and so forth, which just keeps people in their you know, place of despair and hopelessness. But rather it says, no, it's underdeveloped. In other words, you have these things already in you. It, they just need to come out. And you develop these things. You get stronger in these things. You learn how to live out these areas and these strengths and these gifts and graces and so forth. Because, you know, moreover, not only are we simply not aware of who we are, but also we are at times not aware of, of you know, what inner gifts and beauties and strengths we certainly possess. Okay? Just the opposite. Uh, but these external objects in our lives uh, just certainly may have been substituted for what we really desire in relationships, which is love and forgiveness, acceptance, respect, peace, intimacy, nurturing, courage, and so forth. I mean, these are the things which really make our lives meaningful. These are the areas in which our thisness can really shine because we have all these things. And yes, once we discover the very best of who we are, yeah, some things you know are underdeveloped, but it all begins with awareness. It just here's another way to understand this, okay? Um, in in order to uh, develop a healthy self, shall we say, 
um, we are required to internalize these qualities of external objects. Okay, um, let's say just for the sake of argument that we grew up with a, a favorite stuffed animal or a toy. And, you know, through that toy, through that stuffed animal, we learned the value of comfort, uh, play, you know, fun, companionship, you know, that the toy provided. And the reason why this toy connected with us is because it, the toy met this inner emotional and psychological need, which everybody has. Again, we come into the world with these things. However, although this is normal behavior in childhood, as we mature, there's a shift that, that needs to occur in us where we, we need to take and internalize these qualities and now substitute that stuffed animal or that toy for more meaningful, emotional, physical, sexual intimacy in relationships with others. In other words, it's, you know, we, we start to live in with healthy relationships. And we realize that, okay, a toy is a toy, a stuffed animal is a stuffed animal. But as we mature, we seek out other means in more adult relationships that can reciprocate this and so forth. Because if we're unable to do this, we're going to struggle to reciprocate these human qualities in meaningful, life-giving ways. Well, if you've ever seen the movie Ted, um, this is a classic and contemporary example of kind of this struggle that people face in moving from an underdeveloped sense of self towards a healthy self. Okay. And I think it was Ted that came out in like 2012 or something like that, somewhere around there. But, um, you know, just the storyline is is classic because in this film you have this guy John Bennett. He's a, a 35 year old man child, and uh, as the movie starts off, he received his childhood wish in in making his teddy bear or Ted come to life. And and then as you go on, you know, growing up, we see Ted serving as a great companion. He was a confidant to John, and he showed unconditional love for John. I mean, they were tight. They were best buddies. However, John never internalized these qualities that he received from Ted. And, and as a result, he struggled to find meaning in his relationships, especially with his girlfriend, Lori, uh, without Ted always being around. And, of course, if you watch the whole movie, you can see that Lori was just getting more and more annoyed with Ted. But John Bennett didn't know who he was without Ted. But he never did internalize these qualities with his girlfriend. And many people also look, you know, to external objects in order to satisfy the inner stirrings of the soul. Um, and, and there are plenty of objects out there that provide pleasure and happiness or comfort, security and or a sense of peace that can simply never touch the cry of the soul and, of the, and the soul consciousness that connects us with God. I mean, these objects are just simply poor substitutes that on one level serve to meet our emotional and or physical needs. And the reason why we cling to these external objects is because on one level, they work. Okay? I mean, for example, alcohol is a depressant. 
okay? It calms emotional anxiety and stress. On the other hand, cocaine is a stimulant, and it boosts mental and physical energy, okay? And sexual intimacy also releases dopamine in the brain and provides a physiological sense of elation. And even a, you know, a lengthy workout releases endorphins and provides us with an analgesic feeling. Hopefully it helps us sleep better and so forth, okay? But on the other hand, if we truly want to understand ourselves for who we are, especially the understanding of ourselves as a soul, we have to learn that these external objects always are going to point us to connect with a higher consciousness that transcends our emotional, psychological, and physical realms. In fact, if we listen you know, more carefully to the cry of our soul, we're going to realize our deepest desire is to connect and reconnect to the pure sense of who we are. And these external things that we kind of gather around us just simply cannot touch the cry of the soul. And yet, there's advertisements and marketing and so forth that we're convinced like, okay, if I can just grab the next best thing, if I can just grab the latest iPhone, or if I can just do this or, or have something just coming off, you know, the, the assembly line that will provide me with everything that my heart is crying out for. Well, that has never happened, nor will it ever, but yet, how many times do we buy into that? How many times if we think, well, if I just had a, you know, a great meal of whatever our favorite meal is, that'll give me, you know, satisfaction and that'll touch me deep into my soul. Or if I drive the latest car, or if I have this particular person in my life or whatever it is. Okay. See, it's, it's not wrong to have nice things, but what happens when these nice things have us? And we feel like we cannot live without these nice things because, well, they give us a temporary relief or a reprieve from the misery that we feel emotionally. And these things are just so temporary. It's like, okay, great, wonderful, you get a nice feeling, and then what? What happens when that nice, warm feeling wears off? Do you have to go back out there and find the next best thing? Well, some people do, but again, it comes from that, you know, place of emptiness inside of us that no matter how much of the external things that we collect and we seek to fill a huge hole in us, it's like a bottomless pit. It, there's just no way anything of that, you know, nature is going to touch the depth of our soul. And of course, this... It's going to bring us back into the, our relationships because there's a huge irony found within the context of our relationships and knowing who we are. Okay. You know, on one hand, we often receive our deepest physical, like I said, uh, physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual wounds in relationships. And yet at the same time, we can discover our greatest healing and strength and peace and forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. And we just might be the key to that. We just might be the one who is able to be in a healthier relationship or the one whom another person 
is seeking a healthier relationship and we help one another to heal or to discover even more things about ourselves. Quite often I, I uh, counsel couples and, um, you know, one of my questions that I'm known for asking is, um, you know, how the person is with you and how you are with each other. Is it enough to bring out the very best of who you are? In other words, that is not just a place of vulnerability, but is a place of authenticity. It's a place of genuineness. And can that person, you know, speak to your soul and bring out the very best of who you are, as well as challenge you to discover more of who you are without feeling threatened? Okay. And that's rare. That is rare because most couples have no clue even how to ask a question like that, let alone, how do we do this? You know, how do we live this out? You know, what does that look like on, let's say, a Friday afternoon here? You know, how do we bring out the best in each other? Okay. Well, as I said, it does bring us back to relationships and more than just spending time with each other, but getting to that place of vulnerability. And to get to that place of vulnerability, we might just exactly have to go back and work through what needs to be forgiven. Because we've all been raised in families. You know, that was just our first, you know, kind of awareness of what we thought the world is all about. And, you know, not to lay blame at parents or grandparents or great grandparents and so forth. But that we get a glimpse of that, of what it means to be in relationships. And we just kind of have this learned behavior until we get out on our own or, um, you know, we realize like, oh, that's not what I want in my future relationships or something like that. And so we have to go through a lot of uh, understanding, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of um, not to blame, but to seek, you know, with courage, healthier ways to be in relationships. And this opens up a whole new world for us. I mean, it, it en enables us to embrace higher vibrational spirituality, as well as providing a richness to our relationships. Okay. Well, I would really love to hear your heart on this matter. So again, if you would like to call in, the number is 888-627-6008, 888 and I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I am your host, Dr. James Houck. I'll be back with you in one minute.
Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to share a little bit about um, next week's show. I've entitled it Smoke, Haze, and Visine. Yeah, okay, yeah, you heard correctly, smoke, haze, and visine. And I'm going to be talking about how we can discover the courage to see things more clearly through the eyes of the soul. Okay, so join me next week as we explore smoke, haze, and visine. <clears throat> well, earlier in the show, <clears throat> I was talking about uh, self-psychology and how Heinz Kohut understood our inability to overcome just many issues that we face in our lives because we often approach things with an underdeveloped sense of who we are. Okay, and as I shared before the break, I really like this theory because it has, um, it has this uh, air of potentiality that we see. Uh, you know, we hold out the potential and, you know, for somebody to realize about themselves that, you know, this is not all there is. Okay, there is so much more to you than what you even realize now. And moreover, not only, um, Kohut says, not only are we simply not aware of who we are, but we're also not aware of what inner gifts or beauty or strengths we possess. And as a result of this, we often substitute these external objects in our lives, you know, whatever it might be, um, for what we really desire in relationships, which is love and acceptance, peace and intimacy, nurturing, courage, and the like. Okay. And, and as I also mentioned before the break, um, you know, this is something when we see children's toys, you think back on the toys that, that we had as, as, you know, little kids, babies and such, um, you know, they became quite animated for us. We would make things talk, we would give them names, and, you know, that's normal childhood behavior. But as we grow up, um, we realize that we now have to substitute, let's say, the toy truck or the toy doll for healthier human relationships, especially in adulthood. But these toys did serve a purpose for us when we were babies, toddlers, and little kids. You know, they did have, you know, valuable lessons to teach us in terms of creativity or companionship or, or something like that. So they, they provided that for us, okay? And they met uh, this inner emotional and psychological need that we have and still have. And yet, uh, as we internalize these qualities, we're, we're going to substitute the stuffed animal or the toy or the truck or whatever for more meaningful emotional, physical, and sexual intimacy in relationships with others. In other words, it should be teaching us how we bond and attach and so forth, just like this was also something that we learn in the context of our relationships in our families growing up. Okay, and um, again, you've heard me say this many times that there's this just huge irony in life where, you know, we are social creatures and we have to look at the relationships that we are involved in. And, you know, the irony is that we can suffer some of pretty tremendous gut-wrenching, heartbreaking wounds being 
in relationships with others. And this could be, you know, um, you know, a physical wound. This could be an emotional wound. This could be a psychological wound. It could even be a spiritual wound. And yet, we find our healing from these wounds through healthier relationships. Okay? And we can discover our greatest healing and strength and peace and forgiveness and love. But it has to be in healthier relationships. And so tying this back into what Kohata was saying, this underdeveloped sense of who we are, uh, as we grow, as we uh, learn, um, you know, what healthy relationships look like and so forth, you know, we have to um, be open to forgive and not just forgive others, but also to forgive ourselves and say, okay, there were some things that were going on that I may not have been aware of, I may not have understood, and I may not have had the strength to, you know, fight back or resist or even to get out and get away. And so these things became learned behavior for us. But having the courage to take a look at those areas of our lives, um, it does take tremendous courage. And we can find our healing. We can reclaim our voice. We can reclaim our authenticity, our genuineness. Okay, so yes, it does take courage for uh, for us to face and forgive and release ourselves from some pretty traumatic experiences that have kept us wounded and helpless for many years. And over the years, you know, um, although treatment from traumatic experiences has taken on many forms, you know, forms such as, um, let's say, exposure therapy or even talk therapy, or some people engage in EMDR, uh, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and some people have gone down the road of hypnosis and so forth. But Regardless of these treatment modalities that are used, the desired outcome is always the same. Reconnection to what was lost. Of course, you know, personal safety is still pr the primary concern for anybody, anybody who's been traumatized, you know, as triggers always have the potential to create unsafe conditions. In fact, a traumatized person just might seek professional help in alleviating, you know, those above uh, symptoms. And yet, in in conjunction with personal safety is this overall treatment goal of helping a person reconnect with either his or her personal relationships or reconnect with who they are. Okay, but let me put out a caution here. Okay. This task of reconnecting just might be especially difficult if the person has defined themselves or they have been defined by the trauma. Okay. And, you know, this is something that I see time and time again through the work I do with intergenerational trauma. In other words, what, what has been handed down? has, you know, not only been the traumatic symptoms, but also distorted view of people themselves. Even that which has, let's say, been a family secret. And who bared the burden of that one? Because, of course, you know, in the olden days, you don't want to air your dirty laundry. And so who pays the price for holding that family secret? 
happening. Well, as I had mentioned um, earlier, that um, in earlier broadcasts, I should say that uh, trauma and intergenerational trauma really disrupts this understanding of who we are. It disrupts the self, okay, and uh, you know has the potential to disconnect us from who we are as a soul. And the reason for this is because that trauma itself displaces this distorted template over our perceptions. You know, in, in a sense, trauma says to us, this is all there is, and this is all there is to you, so this is as good as it's going to get. But these are all lies. These are all distortions that come from, let's say, perhaps other wounded people who have yet to embrace themselves as a soul and to realize their thisness. But once we embrace ourselves as a soul, we're going to be astonished to see the power of our soul to not only transcend trauma and transform our wounded energy, but it's just also going to empower others to do the same. But still, you know, if you're a lover of history or not, you mean that we need to pay attention to history because down through history, many people have feared the resiliency and power of the soul and therefore have tried to silence its cry. And <clears throat> again, down through history, there have been killings and murders and genocide and forced starvations and forced assimilations and uh, you know, society has humiliated people or degraded them, or they've defined people as savages or primitive or backward or unworthy, unlovable, and then therefore disposable as those in control see fit. But what's often heartbreaking for me is, is that these atrocities that have been you know, committed down through history have been committed in the name of God by people who should see themselves as a soul. In fact, even when the killing is done in the name of God, the only true thing that is advanced is this distorted view from those who will do anything to hang on to their power. And so this traumatic template continues to be laid over and over and over again, just distorting uh, images and distorting perceptions into, you know, or, or, or when sooner or later people just say, oh, this just must be the way it is because we are so used to it for so long. But again, it is not correct. It is inaccurate. Now, um, part of the work I do with uh, intergenerational trauma, you know, I often run into this debate of how trauma is transmitted from one relationship to another. And it has dominated the studies and research of intergenerational trauma for some time. And interestingly, uh, transmission of intergenerational trauma is an ongoing conversation, certainly generated by people who understand, you know, this transmission of trauma from either a nature or nurture viewpoint. And from the, the nature viewpoint, you know, certainly beliefs center on trauma as being contained and handed down through our genes, our DNA, you know, from 
great 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 grandparents to great 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 grandparents or great grandparents and grandparents and grandparents to parents and parents to children and so on and so forth and yet the nurture side of this argument believes that trauma is passed down through the way we were raised you know our attachments that we formed with our caregivers as well as how deep um, uh, just just how deep these roots go and the, to be honest the, both sides present convincing examples of the transmission of trauma but in the end i really believe it's a both and kind of understanding you know in other words we may be predisposed to trauma through our family line what went on with our ancestors but how we are nurtured does affect the degree to which intergenerational trauma can be triggered in us through unresolved trauma in our great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents, wherever it started. Okay, And I ran across this one comment by Hurley, um, the author Hurley, in 2015, and he describes it as, you know, like silt deposited on the cogs of a finely tuned machine after the seawater of a tsunami recedes. You know, our experiences and those of our uh, forebears are never gone, even if they've been forgotten. You know, something is going to cling to us, in other words. You know, they become a part of us, this molecular residue, holding fast to what he describes as our genetic scaffolding. You know, the DNA remains the same, but the psychological and behavioral tendencies are inherited. In other words, he gives the example of, well, you just might inherited your grandmother's knobby knees, but also you just might have um, uh, inherited her predisposition towards depression that, you know, came from the fact that she was neglected and how she suffered as a newborn. And these are the things that are hidden. These are the things which, you know, when we start looking at um, who we are and our understanding and our gifts and graces and so forth, uh, we also have to look at what else has been handed down. What else has been, you know, again, not to point a finger and to say, well, gee, thanks for that one, but to understand that healing, healing goes way, way, way beyond uh, just simply, you know, the first generation. You know, healing can continue, not just for those who have preceded us, you know, who have come before us, but certainly those who have yet to be born. Okay, and again, it's what's modeled, what's what's been shown, what's been learned, and so forth. And these are things um, that we may need to unlearn first as a result, but to see things for what they are. And at the same time, to see great potential that lies not only within us, but also lies within others. And again, we're coming back to Heinz Kohut, this self-psychology. Okay, it's this underdeveloped sense of who we are. It doesn't mean that all we see is all that there is. It's just we ain't seen nothing yet. You know, but let's find the courage to ask the really tough questions, not just of ourselves, but also of our relationships. 
again, not to fight and complain and point fingers, but, you know, out of this deep love and respect that we are human beings. And we start, we need to start treating people as, you know, people with value, dignity, and worth, and to help one another discover things in and of ourselves, instead of, well, who's going to stay in power and who can lord this over somebody else? Okay. Well, another uh, great article that I had read uh, regarding um, uh, intergenerational trauma and epigenetics is an article entitled, Can Trauma Be Passed On Through Our DNA? And the author's name is Davis, and he wrote this article back in 2016. And um, the one quote that he has, it's like, wow, that's, that's powerful. Okay, and it's this. He writes, that the single most dangerous idea I learned in school is that the genes you get from your parents are passed on to your children, and nothing you do in your life changes them. Do you hear the despair in that? Okay, it's like we just cannot do anything about it. And now again, that's simply wrong. Oh, we might have a predisposition to some things, but again, what are the other lessons? What are the other things that have been handed down to us? And what is it about discovering who we are as a soul that makes all the difference in the world? What is it about forgiveness and releasing those things that improves our relationships and, and heals not just people who have come before us and people in our lives today, but also those who have yet to be born? I mean, healing occurs on more than simply one level, okay? And many people I talk to, you know, believe that their physical traits and family illnesses cannot be changed. I mean, okay, we come into the world with a certain skin color or shape of a nose or uh, how our toes are or something, okay? That, that's given. That's physical traits, Okay, and some people, you know, struggle with cancer or or diabetes or sickle cell anemia or or whatever it is. Okay, but uh, again, it, you know, the author Davis states that although people do indeed pass on the exact same chromosomes, let's say from a grandparent to a parent to a child, the quality of these chromosomes when they are received has this potential to be enhanced or diminished according to what happens to us and the choices we make in our lifetime, okay? And I just find this to be, you know, tremendously fascinating. It's like we do have control over this. We have to know what we've been predisposed to and then go from there. And in this way, um, you know, these and other studies, you know, tap into Pavlov's theory of classical conditioning, you know, it was maybe something you you remember in school where Pavlov was able to condition a dog's mouth-watering response to the smell of a meat powder, you know, with the ringing of the bell, okay? But, um, you know, let's, let's bring it up to a more contemporary example where, let's say, a person who's had a near-drowning experience might become conditioned to fear the sound of rushing water such as, let's say, the crashing of ocean waves or the rapid torrent of a, of a river. 
And the sound of such water may conjure up heightened anxiety or uh, a startle response or hypervigilance, uh, a pounding heart rate or sensations of I'm being suffocated or tightness in one's chest, etc. And while there is an element of safety in fear itself, especially if the person cannot swim in rushing water, um, fear becomes another matter altogether when these same physiological reactions are experienced when filling a bathtub with water. So the, the element of danger is reduced, yet the mind and the body react and shifts into this survival mode. And yet, are these self-preservation conditioned responses something we keep to ourselves, or have they been passed on genetically to us from our ancestors? Okay. Well, certainly there have been examples, you know, just examples after examples after examples on down through uh, history in which we can point to, you know, the, the nature-nurture argument of intergenerational trauma. But again, hopefully, we can also point to examples whereby the template of trauma has been healed. And if you ever want to instill a even more powerful life-giving template to a newborn, well, listen to this story, because this is powerful. This, this comes from the, the soulful wisdom of indigenous grandmothers. And there is an ancient tradition among indigenous tribes which involve just this, a powerful blessing from the grandmothers whenever a baby is born into a village. And before a newborn is returned to his mother, the grandmothers of the village would take turns holding the child and looking deep into his or her eyes and with a loving tone, the grandmothers would speak words of affirmation and tell the child how much he or she is loved by this community and loved by God and is gifted with many good and precious gifts as a beautiful soul. And this grandmother's tradition begins this internalization process of love and security and trust in the infant and truly reinforces the idea that it indeed takes a village to raise a child. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I'm glad you were able to spend this time with me this afternoon and invite you, if you want to go back and listen to other podcasts or other broadcasts that have been podcasted, I invite you to do so just by accessing the website, www.bbsradio.com backslash Reclaiming Authenticity. So I look forward to spending next week with you, same time, every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between. So until we talk again, everybody, please be safe out there. Everybody, please behave yourselves, and may God hold all of us in the palm of God's hand. Take care. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, 
or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk. It's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.